Welcome to the Westside Investors Network, WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. And now your hosts, AJ and Chris Shepard. Today on the Win Podcast, we are talking with Scott Brady. He's a real estate business owner with multiple businesses in the Southern California area. He's got an enthusiastic opinion on real estate where we discuss the trends in property management industry and really the overall real estate industry. We talk about macroeconomics, debt, and development, and how that affects opportunities in the marketplace. So we are excited to present this podcast to you today. Enjoy. Just got done talking with Scott Brady. Really great guy. So I think we want to be like, we're really excited about this interview that we had with Scott Brady. He's a property manager in Southern California and has some really interesting ideas. Talk a lot about the future of real estate and property management. And he just has a really, really interesting take on He's got, a very, he's got a very unique business model down in Southern California, his property management company and the way he runs brokers and real estate and really wants to provide for the people that he works with. It's just very energetic and fun. We're super excited to have him on the show. Yeah. So here he is, Scott Brady. Yeah. Talk about the blue ocean. In association management, the mom and pops are too small for the bigger associations. Yeah. yeah. But the big it's association... Management companies don't want to deal with the middle management association. The small ones, like oh, the, the 20 50, unit. 50 to 150 sort of our, that's what our target is. And the nice thing is for a 50 owner association, we're probably charging, you know, call it $1,000 a month, 1200 bucks a month. But they sit on about a quarter million dollars in reserves. Oh, wow. And they don't care about the return on the reserves. So if I'm managing 10 of those, that's, you know, $3 million. And I'm getting paid 1.2 by my bank. So we'll, we'll actually... I use Seacoast, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. We, yeah, we looked into doing that up here in Oregon because I think Chris found out a loophole like they kind of, and then yeah. we, we haven't pulled the trigger on it. And you haven't done it? Oh, it's, I'll be at $10 million here within, I'll say within six months, and that should be spitting out twelve, thirteen thousand $13,000 a month. Yeah. Yeah. And nice. as a matter of fact, it spits out so much money, you have to create a fake company that bills the bank so you can kind of launder the money. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really once I found out how that works it's it was really interesting so yeah I learned it took me a year to figure it out it didn't happen to figure out association management it was a process to get to where we are now yeah that's that's one arm we have not ventured into is the association nobody wants to and the hardest part is when you're managing zero associations what's your pitch to an association you know you should try us. <laughs> yeah, we don't know what the fuck we're doing, but, you know, have at it, you know, and, and it, you've got to get to like five or six and then you can say, oh, we managed five or six and yeah. they kind of... I think, uh, but, doesn't Vicki Gaskill, she manages a lot up in Seattle, I want to say. There's a couple, who's up there? Somebody manages like 30,000 doors, 30,000 owners. We got lucky, Appfolio was just getting into the association management software too, so it was an easy transition for us. The managers use the same software. And, you know, Brad Larson hates them because, you know, we, our net profit per door is about five bucks a month. Oh, yeah. Well, but, I mean, are your branch managers getting brokerage out of it? Well, that's that we're going to, we're creating an owner's benefit package so that we'll manage your property for a little bit of a discount. Yeah, there's ways to skin the cat once you, at all these associations, they have maintenance needs. 
So you can set them up on a capital improvement plan. So we're just in our infancy. We're, we're at about 1,200 owners now, and we're really starting to figure out how to squeeze more out of the doors. Yeah. That's exciting. I yeah. mean, when they've got 250 grand in the bank, you it's, know, it's, that's a lot of preventative maintenance. Yeah. And the thing that's nice about it is that my argument is the acquisition cost of the door. We'll spend this year on marketing. Next year on marketing, I'll spend maybe, I'll say 10000 to add you know, 2,000 doors. So your acquisition cost is almost nothing. I mean, that's yeah. how cheap it is. Whereas we'll spend, I'm going to spend next year probably $120,000 to acquire 300, 400 new residential doors. So your acquisition cost is so much lower than residential. Yeah. Yeah. And they're sticky. So yeah, it's been a, I don't know why our industry just rejects it, but they do. we do. Nobody very, I'd say 2% of residential management companies do association management. Well, it sounds like a good niche to get into for sure. I think it's a great niche for our industry. Yes, exactly. Well, cool. It's very leading edge. I didn't really plan it that way. Kind of, kind of happened that way. Well, sweet. Well, yeah. What's the name of your capital company again? I, I tried looking it up, but I couldn't find it. Well, we do syndications in-house. So, oh, Carpe Diem. But it's Carpe a, Diem. Yeah, Carpe Diem developers. So our marketplace, I did those for about 10 years and there's been nothing to buy the last three to five. It's just so overheated down here. So right now a, a single family home is going for 700,000. Yeah. There's just as a pencil. Multi- close to 500 grand. Really? Yeah. And it's, yeah. And you're fighting with all these, you know, these buyers to so the market, our market's gone up 10% just this year. And so hard to find deals on the investment side. I think that will change. I think you know, pretty radically here I in a couple I years. I was leaving California. Yeah, no, not quite. Matter of fact, I think the net loss was sixty thousand left. But we look at the birth rate. Of course, the state grew again. The problem down here, I think you guys know, is that the biggest issue is that you can't build in certain cities. You can't even run for office if you're for development. You will not be on city council. It's a very anti-growth, anti-development area. Orange County, L.A. Pretty much the only stuff being built is your real high-density 300-unit rental properties, your wraparound product around a garage, because you get financing for that all day. But yeah, it's not good down here as an investor. I think we're seeing, I've been talking to people around the country, I don't know their names, but there's a company in Birmingham where he's got 15 properties signed up, you know, ready to go at all times, and he sends out a letter and email to California, and he, he sells them all. Are you just talking turnkey? Yeah, that no, what they're doing is they're buying homes for like 80 or 90K, putting in 50K, 60K, and then having an investor buy it and then turning them to rentals. And they claim they get about a 10 cap. Cap, I just sold a $1.7 million fourplex, and I think the total rents were $7,000 a month. The cap rate was two. Yeah. There's just, you know, only people buying rental properties here are a lot of Asian money, just parking, just parking cash is what yeah, you're doing. That's going to stay, stay up. I mean, it's people betting on appreciation who just, you know, they have more money. They're like, I don't want to put this in the stock market. I, I need to diversify or, you know. Yeah. Culturally, Vietnamese, Chinese, Indian, they don't like the stock market. You're not going to put money in the bond market right now. So they're just, they're just parking it in real estate betting on appreciation, and I think also betting on some inflation here in a couple of years. And that's the other hedge going on. Uh, have you been doing any deals lately with the Carpe Diem? So the only thing we've been doing is selling properties that have a terrible return on equity and doing 1031s. And I think that day may be over. I'm hearing the tax laws coming up are not good for 1031 over a certain income level. Is that what you guys are hearing? I heard that 
there's just absolutely no way that it can be implemented in the next two to three years, but it down in the pipe, you know, potentially two years, three years out, we could be looking at some adverse tax law coming our way. Well, I had a client full disclosure, my daughter's father-in-law, he owns a very nice company. And he, before Biden took office, he deeded a big chunk of the company to his sons to avoid the inheritance tax, which is coming down. It's going down from 22 million down to like what, 2 million or something. So he did that before Biden took office so he could lock that in. So I think there is a general feeling. We've had a few clients panic selling care, thinking that when Biden takes office, all hell's going to break loose. Changes in tax laws. We'll see what happens to debt. So there's, I didn't notice it until recently. There's some real nervousness in Southern California. We haven't found out the outcome of the Georgia race, the Senate race. Yet, <laughs> Still we? waiting on that. Huh? No, no, that's January 5th or 6th. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, if, if the Democrats don't have a majority in the Senate, it's certainly going to make it a lot harder to get legislation passed, even, even as a president. But Yeah, but I think the Republicans are going to want the Democrats to fail, so they're going to give them enough rope to hang themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's classic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. who knows? Yeah. Our philosophy is just never sell. So you never yeah. have to pay taxes if you don't sell. I'm in a mastermind group with about eight people. And there's some really smart. I, do you guys know Dave Pruitt? I should I get to know help. him. Yeah, he's no. Phoenix. He manages directly like a thousand doors and then he does back office for another 2,000. But all he does is buy property as well with investors. Super smart guy. Google him, give him a call, really owns a real estate company. So Phoenix is blowing up, right? Everybody's parking money there from California. Yeah. You can still get buy multi-unit for $100,000, $150,000 a unit. And he's project I'm working on, which you may be interested in. So we're, we're rolling out a program called Tenant Boost probably in six months. And he's already been doing it internally. All we're doing is that we'll take your lease leads for free, charge you nothing, and we'll screen them and we'll schedule them for you. Oh, but we're going to take your data and we're going to try to convert those lease leads and applicants into buyers. And then we have a network of realtors, which will give them the buyers, and we, we get a split. Or for $25 a lease lead, we'll give it back to you. So we, we've kind of got an internal program like that. That's um, what Dave has. Yeah. And we Dave. garner all those, all those leads coming in that are potential leases. And then six months down the road, we contact them again and be like, hey, are you uh, interested in buying a house when they maybe rented from someone else? Correct. Dave's really perfected it so that he gives, you know, do you want to buy in one year? Do you want to buy in two years? Right. Do you want to buy in three years? And then he gets investors and they'll buy the property and they'll do a lease to own. So set the tenant up into one of their properties on a lease to own, which is always risky on the lease option, but it might make it airtight. So we're just doing that nationally, you know, for people that manage a hundred to 300 doors and it's just inconceivable to do something like that. Mm -hmm. And it costs you nothing. According to the people we're working with, like 90% of property management companies don't even do real estate. Yeah. 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 Don't want to touch, it's a worthless lead to them. So we'll take it, convert it to a buyer, and then put it in our network. So we're excited. We think it's something that can be done nationwide. Awesome. That sounds yeah. super cool. Yeah. Very blue ocean. That one. Yeah. All calls down to the conversion rate. And we're hoping the conversion rate's a paltry 0.2%. That's, <laughs> and that'd be profitable at 0.2%. Yeah. Yeah, that's how sad it is. Uh, two, two out of a thousand? Yeah. Once again, I don't know your market. Most markets for every lease listing, you're getting 20 to 40 leads. And so for us, we're going to do 300 leases here. So you can quickly do the math. We'll have over 10,000 leads here. So you're just trying to squeeze that 10,000 down to 20 pre-qualified buyers. Yeah. That might be about right. 
Yeah. Well, we don't know. We gotta, we're gonna, we're gonna run the numbers. Are you, are you gonna sell the leads to brokers? I will have a real estate network, and so it'll be a thirty percent referral fee. So once we give them the qualified buyer, and then the other piece we'll do that's gonna be six months down the road is kind of a tenant portal. So for those of you who don't want to buy, but you need insurance, you want pet insurance, you want you know security deposit insurance, you want a tenant guarantee, we'll you know we'll send them to the portal where they can have uh, products they can buy. So that'd be the second piece. So kind of a, it's really a company to help tenants become either better tenants or convert them into buyers, be, have, have become homeowners. Yeah. And just, cool. just scale. The beauty of it is we've got a nationwide lender that will pay for our VA because otherwise it's just not profitable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing that's interesting about this business. Every industry I've been in, people just get very myopic, you know, just like real. Well, yeah, they're, they're dealing yeah. with like what they're looking at. Right. And yeah. they're, like it takes a little bit to kind of like step back and see like the big picture of like what's going on and also like what the other opportunities are out there. Well, who's monetized tenant leads? We treat tenants like second class citizens rather than treating them as an income source. When I was in real estate, you know, people just were the condo king in this one little track. That's all they did, you know? And it's a it's such a big industry with such opportunity, particularly property management and association management. You know, I think real estate might be in trouble in 10 to 20 years, but we're we're I always feel like this industry is just at the just ready to take off. It's still, you know, I think you guys, are, I wrote a book. Wow. When I was researching the book. It's funny that the guys that started the VA industry, they said like three years ago, they went to a conference and people thought they were nuts. Like, what do you mean a VA? Doing what? Like he what? said, on it, he said they at the booth, people were throwing things at them. Like they were nuts. How and many now, VAs are, do you employ now? We're right now getting a financial person for a homeowner associations. I think we have full-time four. Nice. Yeah, all our phones go directly to the Philippines now, yep. and they get pushed back to the branch managers, to the business to development. Our, yeah, I think we've got we've got like eight right now. Yeah, there's a guy. There's I mean, a, they, a, they can do anything on a computer. They can do. Yeah, there's a guy who owns Clockwork Property Management. Yeah, super smart, Brent. Do you know Brent? I don't. So Brent and they start a company called Daily Reconciliations. They'll do all your reconciliations and uh, your. But he manages 800 doors in Chino. He has one property manager. With six wow. VAs. With six VAs. Wow. So his is superstar. Oh my god. So think of that. So he pays him like eight K, the property manager, but the six VAs are only you know six thousand, right? So his total cost is fifteen K for, for wages. And, and remember in the past six years ago, you'd have one property manager for every hundred and fifty doors. So that'd be six property managers at you know, two hundred and forty thousand dollars, whatever it might be. Yeah, it's you're seeing that kind of real creativity with the VAs. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, we don't have any property managers. Oh, you guys are really <laughs> well, so my business model, you'll think this is funny. So I do have twenty five branch managers, but they're realtors who are happy making twenty bucks an hour. Right? That's really what it comes down to. We find good people who are just kind of shitty real estate agents. And there are lots of them, by the way. <laughs> and we say, hey, if you're managing, you know, 60 doors, you're making $4,000 a month. If you're managing two associations, that's $2,000 a month. I got you to 72,000. Sell a couple homes. Look at that. You're making six figures. Yep. And that's, that's really the whole business model. And we have no shortage of, we could add 20 agents tomorrow if I wanted to. It's just finding the right people that fit the model. Yeah. So how do you find the right people? Like let's do screening techniques. So we now have four avenues we use. We've kind of perfected. So pre-COVID, I, I go on the circuit. I do seminars throughout Southern California to real estate agents. One's how to build a profitable property management business. 
And the other one's how to get off the real estate income roller coaster, right? So I have two different seminars. Every seminar, I'll pick up two to three agents. CAR has decided that the realtors are doing property management, which by the way, 20% of all realtors are doing property management. So they're starting to do, they're going to do conferences that we're supposed to do it this year. They had to cancel and I'm going to run it for them. And we'll have 300 people there who are realtors dabbling in property management. And we say, you know what? Come out of the closet. Come join us. You know, you're managing 40 doors badly. You're not insured. You're going to lose everything. Come with us. We'll put you on a split and we'll help you. We'll sell you even more doors. We'll sell you doors to manage. And the funny thing that we also do is just Indeed. You just put an ad on Indeed looking for property managers. You explain it. Send them to our VA to screen them. Do a video to explain it. We'll get 30 applications. We'll whittle that down to two or three agents to come join us. Yeah. So you just kind of, yeah, you know the different different places. I'm just about to send out a piece to small property management companies. Like, you know, you're struggling. It's not working for you. Come join us. Keep your doors. You know, that kind of thing. So I, I think there's different Wait, let's, ways. To, let's take care of the problems for you on the back end. Yeah. You don't want to deal with that bullshit. You want to, the fun stuff. You want to lease. You want to do that. You yeah. know, and we picked up something with 70, 70 doors. Yeah. Well, cool. Just kind of backing up. Like, how did you get into real estate? Like what, <laughs> what's kind of like your origination story? Everybody's got a story, don't they? I mean, uh, so. <laughs> everybody has a story. So I was in private banking. I had got my master's. So I was in private banking, downtown LA. Hated it. Just hated every piece of it. I was making good money, but I was bored. Didn't like having bosses. Didn't like checking in, getting there, wearing the, the suits and whatnot. How did you know at the time you didn't like having bosses? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a performance review every year was enough. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. I'm not that kind of guy. I started a division at a bank that made like $100 million. It was called the Portfolio Defense Group. Yeah. And what we would do is when somebody called to refinance, we would modify their loan on the spot. We'd say, hey, you don't need to refi. We'll just change your rate, right? Because we, you know, why not? And I remember I got a bonus that year. I think I made for the bank $100 million. And my bonus was like $20,000 or something. And I was wow. just like, I'm, I'm fucking out of here. But I was working with high-end realtors in downtown in Beverly Hills. And so I said, well, gee, these people are stupid. I can do real estate. So I got into real estate in 97, started my own company. And really how I got, I really took off is I ran for mayor of the city in 2000. People think I have a shot and I won. And so I was on Which city. Which city was this? I'm in a little city in North, it's kind of just north of Anaheim, a city of about 70,000 people, about 15,000 households. So I was on city council for eight years and I became Mr. Placentia. That's where I was. And I was making, I was building with investors. I was just doing everything. And then the recession oh. hit. I don't know if you guys remember this recession hit. Uh, and I can't, that's like right when we got started. So. Oh, holy <laughs> shit. I had, I had scraped two buildings to the ground to build triplexes. When the recession hit, the bank said, we're not financing it. I had to go get investors and I got into yeah. assisted living care. That's how I got those built to finance wow. it. So I got to that whole shit show. And in, in 2010 or 11, I said, I should do property management. It seems like something I should do. And That's uh, right when we got into it. Is that 2011? So I was yeah. didn't, didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground. I didn't, didn't read a book, <laughs> didn't do anything. I got audited six months into it. I'm like, oh, no, that's not good. But the Department of Real Estate. But, it, you know, so 2000 started with zero doors and just kind of figured out my marketing, my message, and then slowly grew and then discovered NARPM like 2015. And then I did this branch manager model about the same time. So we started with zero doors. We're about 1,150 residential doors. I managed 300 in-house and then all the rest are branch managers. Cool. 
I mean, yeah. you have the the marketing machine going. Like that's that's kind of your specialty, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a marketing guy, marketing sales guy. I mean, what uh, in the end, I realized that you know, if you have a good brand, we price aggressively. We did hybrid pricing, which I don't think anybody does. So we charge seventy five dollars plus two percent. We broke it up. So between our pricing and our brand and our messaging, yeah, we do direct mail, Google ads, geek marketing, the whole thing, right? So we convert the lead to a door. And then we sell that contract to the branch managers. So the goal would be, I have no marketing expense, right? So if I, if yeah. I spend 10,000 and I generate 30 doors and I sell the 30 doors, I recoup my 10,000. So I could spend a hundred thousand. That's really the long-term goal in residential is get so good at our marketing machine that we can add a hundred doors a month. It's not too hard. It's not that hard to do. Yeah. And you think you're going to do three or 400 this year? Yeah, because we had a, a lot of what I do is I add agents with their doors and I shut down direct mail halfway through the year because there's so much crap in the mail from the election. So we'll, we'll ramp it back up again in January. But yeah, yeah, the goal would be at least, at least 300 doors. I think it's going to be a big year after we get through the COVID. When you're adding those doors, are you increasing your kind of footprint on where you manage or, or, is, or are you just getting more dense? Right now we're getting, because my market's so huge, right? Southern yeah. California, I'm from yeah, Apple no, Valley. I mean, like, you can, you yeah. Can, you can throw, throw a rock and hit a house like for miles and miles and miles. Well, yeah, there's 1 million rentals in my marketplace. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, so, there's, so I don't need to, I will grow. We want to get to Coachella Valley and we want to push down to San Diego next. And so kind of have all of Southern California introduce this business model to San Diego because I think as the market turns rough, real estate market turns rough, we're going to be a real kind of the last, last branch on that real estate tree for a lot of agents. It could get bumpy out there. And, and really, we actually believe in the model. So we, we want agents to have four or five streams of income. Yeah. You know, I, got, I got a guy, he's in a Rolling Stones cover band, sells real estate, does residential, he'll do association and leasing. So five streams of income. And I think it's healthy. It's, it's a really rather, you know, well, rather it's, a, it's sort of diverse, right? Like you're yeah. not there just like beating the drum on the, the same thing every day. Yeah, whatever, whatever works, you, you throw your resource to it, your time at it. So we've never lost a single agent in five years. They're not going anywhere. I, if they leave, I keep the doors. So no. they're, they're beholden to us. So far, it's worked out really, really well and it allowed me to do association because rather going to association management, so we have our, I think I told you, our, our pitch is, you know, we're not going to tell you we have magic pixie dust. We actually do have magic pixie dust because... <laughs> you know, our branch managers are, you know, are going to be really focused on your community. So I think it's, I don't know if I do association management, if I didn't have this distribution network, that's, you know, we've got, and, and why not have 50 branch managers, each managing 50 doors and two associations. That's well, sort of, if you had one guy managing 800 units and you're like, Hey, let's add on a couple associations. <laughs> I think you well, get a little pushback. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So Orchard and I go back and forth on this. He's like, well, you can make 50% profit margin. I go, Todd, I'd rather make 15% profit margin over four streams of income than 50% on one stream. Because somebody big boy comes in your town with better pricing and service, you know, you're going to be pushed out. So I'd rather make a little bit less in a lot of streams and I'd rather have my, my branch managers make more. Well, know? yeah. And it, it sounds like you're creating or like helping your branch managers create a life for themselves too, right? It is. It is. It's inspiring. It really is. If we, if they weren't working for us, they'd be out of real estate, you know, yeah. and now, and now we've given them, they could retire with us. You, you could do property management till you finally drop dead at your desk. Right. So these are advocates for us that go out there and, 
it's, it's purely now just a matter of we've got to get more doors for people to manage. And that's why we're looking forward to next year's recruiting again. I mean, yeah, one, we're, one thing that we're, AJ, we're pretty excited about a program that we have going for our employees. We're doing a wealth building book club. Yeah. And as well, I'm putting together kind of a wealth building series for a podcast. And we were going to be talking about just kind of the foundational like habits when it comes to building wealth, which is like investing and save or saving and then investing what you've saved. Mm-hmm. Also talking about income streams and a host of other like pretty exciting topics like that go combined with making more income, but making more income is not like the key to retiring wealthy. It's crazy like how some people can make tons of more income, but yet they're still, you know, running a negative profit and loss personally every month. Yeah, there's a great story we're talking about. You should Google it, LA Times. There's a gal, she's on the Housewives of Beverly Hills, blonde, and she married a super rich guy, obviously, and he just felt, he just went totally bankrupt today or this week. And all his eggs, what he did, he was an attorney and he would fight big lawsuits. He'd go after four. You go after Boeing and he owned his own firm. So he didn't have to, no partners, he had to split the money. So if he won, he'd get 40% of that winning. He'd win big, right? But if he didn't win the lawsuit, he had to incur all the cost. And the, you know, these lawsuits are very expensive. So finally, of course, he ran out of luck and he wasn't winning the big lawsuit. And then he was taking his client's money, you know, stealing. And oh, then he was getting high mark. He was getting these loans that apparently, who knew there was a whole industry that hard money loans for law firms, where they'll, they'll collateralize your future you know, lawsuits. So of course he did four of those at the same time without telling the other people. So this guy had $200 million, like apparently 10, 15 years ago, he has nothing. Matter of fact, he's less than nothing, he's gonna go to jail. And, oh, and, you look, and it, it's a tale of hubris, but it's really a tale of don't owe your, own your own law firm. You know, distribute that with other attorneys, share the wealth with other attorneys. It's a lesson on don't just go after the big white elephants you know, like he was doing. He, that worked two mm-hmm. or three times, but it did work a few more times and he lost his cash flows. And, goes, and then generally don't, don't have a lifestyle where you're spending $20 million on your wife's you know, phantom scene career and then don't steal people's money. You know, and it, it, it's well, a, yeah, it's an interesting thing. one income stream. That's that it. Requires home runs. That's correct. He was, <laughs> he, he was a home run and he hits a few home runs. He did the Brockovich deal and he had some home runs but he just ran out of home runs. And yeah, it's really, it was just in today's paper. This was the guy who was like featured in Aaron Brock, the Aaron Brockovich movie. Correct. It was his, yeah, she worked for him. Yeah. That's exactly our industry. You know, diversify and retiring the same thing. I'm older than you guys. You, You have, you have money in your business, money in your IRA. You've got real estate, you know, you got your bonds, whatever, diversify. I'm a big dollar cost averager. I'm a, I'm a random walk down wall street guy which is I buy every single month, $3,000 a stock, come hell or high water. It goes down, I'm happy because I'm buying more stock. It goes up, I'm happy because I'm, I'm richer. Yeah, basic stuff. You can teach your, we, we do an IRA here. I had to teach them all how that worked. And the only issue with my business model, I have no employees. I've got, we manage now 2,000 doors between the two of them and I have five employees. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a bunch of VAs. I've got a, got a bookkeeper, Operations, operations, help. My son runs residential. Yes, you know, six with me, six full-time employees. That's awesome. So for book club this month, we're reading A Simple Path to Wealth by 
I think it's JL Collins. When it comes to the stock market, I, you know, being a, like, I've only invested in real estate for the past like 13 years and, you know, $0 in the stock market. But after reading this book, it's just like, gosh, why, you know, why haven't I diversified at least a little bit? Of course. Um, Yeah. And so his strategy is just so simple. It's just, you know, fund managers can't beat the stock market. Like you and me, you know, we're very unlikely to beat the stock market too. So why not just blindly put your money into the total market index fund with the least fees and just forget about it. That's Matt Gale's theory, by the way, that he's the first one in the late sixties that says, don't have active money managers after all the costs and taxes. It's not worth it. Find the market. Yeah. 1% fee actually turns out to be like 15 or 20% of your total return. So over 20 years, you're yeah. investing in five grand a month. That's like two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars. And also emotionally, you're not you're not looking at the market. You're just just plying it in every single month. And I just read a book on that as well, and he said you should be in the bond market. Same thing, dollar cost averaging, because bonds are going to go back up to five or six percent, and that's and stocks don't give out dividends anymore for the most part. So you want to have that that risk. So I'm going to start doing about twenty five percent bonds as well. You know, not not actively managed bonds. Yeah, his strategy is if you're young and you're in wealth accumulation mode where you, you don't have enough money to live off of, then you want to be 100% stocks. If you're in wealth preservation mode where you're, you could retire if you wanted to, then you want to be 75-25. Yeah, the, the standard has always been take 100 and subtract your age and that's how much you should be into stocks and yep. the rest of being bonds, right? That's a general feeling, rule of thumb. If I wasn't doing that, I'd probably be a money man. I was in private banking. I'd probably be a money manager. It was, it was a fun, fun gig. In private banking, they don't care about your return. Just don't fucking lose my money. That, that's when, you're, when, you're, when, you, when you give your money to Chase Manhattan Bank, you're not looking for a 15% return. Just when I come back a year from now, oh, I'm still going to be there. Yeah, I want to still be there. We did a lot of trust fund people, all that stuff. Now, yeah. if you're going to uh, the capital group or you're going to – we dealt with Leonard Green and partners. Yeah, they, then they want a ten or fifteen percent return. Uh, everybody's chasing. Everybody's chasing return. No. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. You know, the nice thing about our business, I know when I put money into this my business, I'm getting a twenty percent return. So I'm at always least. at least. So I'm always shoveling money back into the company right now. Yeah. And we're in a subscription business, so I don't have fear of all of a sudden it's going to be half as much tomorrow. I mean, it's it's really a very uh, predictable. Predictable and it's funny. It's it's both predictable and exciting. Yeah. The real estate was unpredictable and at the end boring. You know, it, it's it was the same shtick every time. I was selling eighty homes a year and it was not fun. Where this industry is just so, where so many things going on and, and going to happen and mm-hmm. you know tenant New boost. challenges. Yeah, taking taking all these tenant leads and, and monetizing them and to getting investors matching investors to first time home buyers to management companies. And profiting off that—that's that's a real cool thing. That's what Pruitt's doing. He's he's a he's a smart guy. Yeah. Are you getting into that, or is that just something you're admiring? I'm not getting into it. I invest generally locally when it comes to real estate. So I was lucky. I was buying real estate in the '90s before it got crazy here. It's just in Southern California, buying real estate right now is arguably the dumbest thing you could do. I think you know. You're still, um, you're still doing it, right? Well, I'm going to buy commercial next. So we're going to never own my own commercial building. And there's a lot of vacancies out there and some stress. Yeah. So 
we're going to wait probably the next summer and try to jump on something. I can get like a 4,000 square foot, you know, of, of which, you know, 1500 is warehouse for about a million. That's a good, you know, because otherwise oh, yeah. you're paying two bucks a foot here. So I can lock that in. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely buy next commercial. That'd be the well, next thing to buy for us. And that'd be well, owner user. Amazon distribution centers, they have to get smaller. So yeah. they might be looking. <laughs> yeah. There's, well, we'll see the fallout from COVID, but it, it doesn't look good for a lot of industries down here. Yeah. So some misery. Are you guys buying any uh, multifamily there? Terrible multiples. Terrible. Yeah. You're better off putting it in a pillow. You're chasing a lot of Asian money that doesn't even look at the numbers. Yeah. We did a deal recently, five units, five units, all cash, two million. All cash, two million. Yes. Didn't even leverage. Just took a shovel, dug a hole, and just <laughs> put it in the ground. <laughs> There's a bias with Chinese money to buy in Southern California. Are the Chinese also fighting inflation? I think they're just trying to diversify in case the shit hits the fan there. So, and they have just so much cash. They yeah. don't know what to part, and they will not put it in the stock market. Just will not do it. So they're putting in their business, cash, or real estate in Southern California. Yeah. I mean, the Ramibi has appreciated 7% on the dollar this year. So that is something that is happening. There's a macro trend of, well, in like Brazil, Russia, and China are all trying to put together their kind of like secondary reserve currency. So that could be something that happens in our lifetime, which could really, you know, change the way, like being able to print the reserve currency as the United States of America is a pretty like high pedestal to be on. Yep. And there are quite a few nations that are clawing to get up to the top. Yeah, I think you know that Dial, Ray, Ray Dial has a book coming out. He did Principles. Dalio. Dalio, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so his, his, new, his new book's coming out in March, and he predicts the end of the United States as the dominant. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. It, oh, sorry. Mean, that's, that is a gloom and doom yeah. book. You know. Yeah, but in the end, though, I, I would not be surprised in two years we have hyperinflation. I wouldn't be, you know, we got $30 trillion in debt we got to get rid of one way or another. I Fans mean, of, you, Rita, uh, do you get The Economist? Like online, I read it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, read this week's magazine. They're like, you know, they literally are, that was the cover page, inflation, and just kind of weighing the, they're calling them the inflationistas. Yeah. <laughs> It could be in the early 80s again, where you know we looked at stuff at 10, 15% to, to ring it out. I think you're also looking at the mortgage-backed securities right now. The government's buying, what, $100 billion every single month of mortgage-backed securities, putting on the balance sheet. You know, it, It's not sustainable. That all has to end. And I suspect it ends mid-year next year, maybe late year next year. I say 2022 is going to be the rough year. That's the year that when rates move back up to 5 or 6% and people have been used to two and a half percent, that means prices will have to come down 10, 15%. You know, I've lived through that. Sellers don't like reducing the price 10 or 15%. No, certainly not. I, mean, <laughs> I want to say that 99% of economists have declared inflation to be dead. And the new battle is against deflation. Yeah, because they actually inflation is better than deflation. That's what the Fed said. He wants inflation to be at three to 5% because there's that stimulates purchasing you want to buy yeah and it yeah. it needs to be a catch-up but like that's the battle that japan and like germany are facing is they they have like deflation like they have negative interest rates it's crazy yeah, like 
that they're savers though. I think, I think the biggest issue coming up, and I, I did it in one of my presentations, people didn't want to hear it. You have a, you have both an economic crisis coming up and I think you have an acceleration of technology crisis coming up, you know, in 10 years when we had driverless trucks, driverless cars, what do you do with 3 million truck drivers? Yeah. What do you, what do you do with the workforce? What do you do? And it, and believe me, everybody's going to pay $50,000 to put that computer in rather than have a truck driver paying $50,000 a year. So I think the biggest issue is, is, is kind of convergence that's going to go on. We'll get through it, but I think it's going to be very uncomfortable for about five to 10 years. And I'm predicting that's about 2030, where all of a sudden you have 3 million people out of work. They're unemployable. <laughs> They're not just unemployed, unemployable. Electric cars, driverless cars, combined with clean energy coming up, combined with artificial intelligence. Look at our industry. We're, we're talking about a guy, one guy managing 800 doors because of the internet, because of the phone, you know, the phone systems. And what we're doing in property management, it's going to just spill over to association management and resident. I mean, it's just... I mean, but global wages or wages for global workers who can speak English are going up. Yep. Well... But our minimum wage, I have to pay here $15. That's my minimum wage. And that's for a person who can barely find their ass with both hands. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, we pay $20 an hour. There you go. That, that's a person at the front desk just that, you know, just doing this. Or somebody who's skilled, you're 20, 25 bucks. A good bookkeeper, 30, 35 bucks. I'm going to hire a Filipino bookkeeper for eight bucks an hour. That's a high wage yep. for, for them, right? So I, I think you're having this whole... It, it's happening right underneath our feet. Like, I don't have to go look around. I mean, it's happening here, you know, what, what's going on. So I think that's good, what the tough part's going to be is arguably high unemployment, high debt. You know, I would say be careful when you're at all-time whatever. All-time highs or all-time lows. Be careful. It never lasts forever. And right. we're all-time, you know, we are all-time lows in unemployment, all-time now, we're all-time lows in oil prices, rates, all-time all -time high in stock market, all-time. Whenever you say all-time gonna keep going like, <laughs> yeah you know and like with real estate everybody needs a place to live and the tax code is very beneficial to rental that's the key thing i was talking to the chief economist at car she just retired and I, I was having this conversation about my concerns and she goes scott we're not that pretty right now you know think of this as being a ball we're not really pretty but we're the prettiest girl at the ball. <laughs> There's a lot, of, a lot of ugly girls at the ball. We just have yeah. to be the prettiest girl at the ball right now. He goes, the problem is what you're talking about. When, when we, what happens when we become the second prettiest girl? And, the, and now the dollar is not as powerful as it is right now. And you can, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's basically printing it at 1%. And that's why they talk about the debt. It could be 30 trillion because interest rates are 1%. But what happens when rates are 5%? That's yeah, one thing that they mentioned in The Economist is that the maturity of the debt went from 62 months to 53 months over the course of like from March to now. It's all short term that, debt. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a very dangerous, like that was the one thing that they're like, that this is getting to be relatively dangerous. Taking time bomb. When right, those, those come up and China doesn't want 1%, they want 4%. What happens, right? And in California, our ticking time bombs the pensions. Do you guys know what's happening down here? We have the same issue with our oh, here in Oregon. Well, so I was in city politics, so I was very familiar with it. So a chief of police here makes about 200K, and he'll stay in his job for maybe one or two years, and then he'll retire. And, he gets, and then he'll trip. He'll say, oh, my knee hurt. I was catching a perp you know, four years ago, and I injured my knee. So he'll get 90% of pay for the rest of his life. 
Think of that, non-negotiable. So then he quits and then he becomes the chief of police for another, for six months. He doesn't violate his pension. So they'll pay him $100,000. So now he's making $290,000 for the rest of his life. <laughs> That's a problem would be the short way of saying it. And multiply that times 500 chiefs of police that are retiring every single year. You know, over and over. It's like a, they all get together and figure out how do we screw the taxpayers out of their money. California is going to have a pension crisis like you've never seen before. Wow. Yeah. Every election year, every city around me has a tax increase. And they say, oh, it's to pave the streets. No, it's to pay for the pensions. And the city right next to me, Fullerton, I think is now at 9% of their sales tax. Fully loaded. It's unsustainable. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy though, but I mean, people are still moving to California. Well, the weather's nice. I mean, I live, I live at the beach. It's, you know, I like it. But when you look out, I'm reading this book, it's not well-written, but it's pretty good. He's, he's, it talks about looking out five moves like a chess master. Yep. And if you look out five moves, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't look good. You yep. know, right now, make hay, everybody, with the sunshines, because there's going to be hell to pay within two to five years. California is going to be in trouble. And as California goes, so is the rest of the country. We're 25% of the, you know, national product so well you just put out the the renter state website yeah a couple of years ago yeah and that was right when the rent control law passed here in oregon okay what's your take on that like i mean if you look five moves ahead on that well we're, we're, we're gonna be great for being a landlord yeah, we're going to become a renter state. So the we're already close. So we're 55% owners, 45% renters right now, right? I think real estate, I grew up back east, and there's certain areas back east where like near lakes oh, where no, nobody, yeah, nobody sells a home, they inherit the homes. And I think you'll see more and more real estate just inherited as it keeps on going up. Yeah. You know, the one thing COVID's brought out, some people did really well during COVID, but 50% of society did a lot worse. And those are people that are renters, right? These are work at restaurants, all the rest. There's definitely a bifurcation going on in society. No, uh, there's, there's a great divide for sure. Yeah. yeah, you're hauling out the middle class. You're going to have an upper middle class and, of course, an upper class, which could be Pareto's law, be 20 to 25% of society and 75% just hanging on by their fingernails. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. And, you know, there's, a, I think, a stat that something like 55% of all Americans have no money in the stock market, almost 60% now. So there's no doubt we're going to rent our state because they can't afford to buy an $800,000 house, but they can rent it for $3,000. Mm -hmm. And because the Chinese are parking money, they don't care about the return. So they're happy to you know, get a, a terrible return on that investment. So yeah, I think the rent state, we're continuing to do blogs and videos on it because they're talking about passing a law here that's being debated right now to forbear all rent through all of next year. Portland today just passed the eviction moratorium in Multnomah County is going to be through July. Oh, uh, your July. July yeah, they've popped up all throughout next year. You only have to pay 25% of your rent to, in order to be not be evicted. So part of this COVID crisis, I, I wrote a blog, what's going to exist after COVID. I think all these tenant laws. I think you're going to see a 15-day notice to quit. You're going to see tenant protection. I think you might see single families thrown into rent control. But I think this is the, the seismic shift for our industry where it's going to be incredibly hard to self-manage. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's been the trend for a, a while now. This is just, uh, this interesting book I read about the COVID crisis. I uh, just finished it. He says that all the COVID did was just push everything along five years. Yeah, we all knew malls were going to die. They're dead. 
Yeah, uh, we all knew it was going to become online. It's online. You know, relationships just aged five just years. Sped, in one year. sped everything up. It's better. It just it sped everything up five years. And I thought that was pretty smart. That sounds about right. Yeah. And that's true in our industry. I think I've seen more innovation in property management in two years than probably people did in 10. Well, there's certainly a ton of people that have started to realize that you don't have to work from an office. Yeah. Like, I mean, the outcome of that like what has happened is going to be super impactful on the migration and the way people actually like live. I think, I think there's going to be a ton of people that realize that they're not going to be tied to those metropolitan cities. I mean, we've seen an exodus out of New York, you know, California for the first time, maybe there's some people actually leaving or yeah. a little bit more than usual. So yeah, I, there's, there's definitely always going to be because of the situation of taxation, the cost. I always say to people, I live in Orange County. If you're not making at least 150, 200,000, get the hell out of here. This, yeah. is, this is no place to live. I mean, it's, you can't make 80 K and live in orange County. you you know, you're, that's poverty level. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I'm telling you it is. It's just, it's eat or be eaten. So I mean, that's, if, I mean, that's the, the kind of mindset that the people coming to Portland from California have too. It's like, you know, we were, a lot of our buyers are getting bought out by Californians coming in paying cash or something like mm-hmm. that. I mean, I'm sure a lot of the other cities have that same kind of mantra or that complaint. I mean, it's just, it's a, really tough to live in California on, on a low pay for sure. Oh, it's yeah, it's, 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 it's brutal. I love when you go to Arizona, gas here is like three eighty. you go right over the border. It's two twenty five. Yeah. Just, I, was just in all Florida, the- I was in Florida last week. It was like two Oh five. Two Oh five. Yeah. California's we're still holding at four bucks a gallon, even though you know, oil prices all time lows. Yeah. It's a dollar 99 here in Idaho. Oh my God. I went electric. I haven't looked at, been to a gas station in <laughs> you know four years. Nice. Well, I got, I got a couple of questions to maybe kind of finish out. What's one piece of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? We had this question in our mastermind. And it's actually in my video on my website, never sell a piece of real estate. There's a great story about Donald Sterling. He owned the Clippers before he said some very racist things and they pushed him out. <laughs> and they, and they, met, they said to Donald Sterling, by the way, he was in real estate. He owned a lot of Koreatown. Yeah. In downtown LA. And they asked him, how'd you get rich? He goes, that's easy. You can write this down. He said, I had a big court case. I, fit, I settled a big lawsuit and I got paid a lot of money in the mid sixties and the market was terrible. So he goes, I bought like a 20 unit building in Beverly Hills. And here's the key thing I did, write this down. I waited. <laughs> and then about seven years later, the market went way up, just doubled. It went crazy. He goes, I refinanced, pulled all my cash out as much as I could. And here's the thing I did. You can write this down. I waited. And seven years later, there was a crash. <laughs> I was able to buy four buildings. And then he parlayed that first building of 20 units into eventually, I think he owned 2,000 units in Koreatown. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I tell myself that buy and hold, when rates are good, refinance, pull cash out, you don't get taxed on it. You know, so if I could do everything again, I sold a house. I was in a property management, I had a terrible tenant. I sold it because I hated the tenant. And that was, a, I think I sold the house for 220. It's worth $800,000 right now. Yeah. yeah. And I build, I like building get land and build when I was younger. I didn't do that till I was like 40. Yeah. Cool. What sort of stuff are you building? So I built infill stuff. I have a partner, a builder, HQT, kind of a small family builder. So we're selling 33 townhomes in Whittier right now with them as a partner. And I built 10 townhomes in Placentia. We sold that about a year ago. Little infill stuff. We get our hands on some land and it's all by the land. We JV and he comes in and they know all the banks and he knows all the contractors. We sell them. They're getting farther and fewer in between these days because of yeah. all the anti-growth. But yeah, we still do just build and make a buck. Nice. Yeah. 
What was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? I was never a big entrepreneur, or as Arnold Schwarzenegger say, entrepreneur. <laughs> That's how I used to say entrepreneurial. You know, I always worked for the man. I was kind of an entrepreneur. I worked for banks and I'd be the renegade, the marketing guy, creating product and divisions, whatnot. And I realized that was never going to be fulfilling because I never really would own it. It's when I, when I became a realtor, when I finally said I didn't join a company, I started my own company from day one with my little vision. And so I think that's probably the, the first thing about it to be, to be really is first time I really owned a business was property management. Yeah. Yeah. A real estate company is not a business. Just go get more listings, everybody. Go, go. You know, that's, it's not a business. It's a cult of personality. That's about brand. Property management is about running a business and all the different aspects of it. And then once I got into it, I went, oh my gosh, what about that? Why, why aren't we you know, leveraging all your different, my goal has always been pretty early on is to monetize everyone we meet. So if we meet investors, bring them into the fold. HOAs, you know, the maintenance side, of course, renters, you know, owners, realtors. Now we do escrow. And so kind of monetize every aspect of the transaction and everybody we meet. We are the linchpin. Property management knows what the deals are, can manage properly, put in the best tenants, get the value up because they bring the rents up. So I'm 57. I'm really old, but I'm going to be doing this for 23 more years. I, I just love this business. I think my, my brother and I have the same sentiment. It's like people ask us, well, when, when are you going to get out? And it's like, well, we're not. <laughs> I've yet to meet the retired person I'm jealous of. Right. Oh, you get to golf every day. Oh, sweet. You know, I mean, you, you get to be with anyway. your wife. You get to be with your wife all day long. Oh, <laughs> heaven. So, <laughs> I mean, I love my wife, but a little alone time is pretty good. And my son works for me now. My daughter works for me. My other daughter works in Tennessee for a, a property management. She's got to start her own company. So this business has allowed me, I was a big realtor, but my no. son was never going to be me. He was, doesn't have my personality, doesn't do what I do well, but he's thriving managing our branch managers, you know, running the residential side. So for me, this has been an industry that depending on what your personality is and what your strengths are, you gravitate to that part of the company. You know, I've had people that hated being property managers and other association management. Yeah. You find what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think real estate's really like that. Like no matter what type of person you are, there's, there's a niche or there's, there's some way that you can find your way within it, which is yeah. pretty cool. And, and real estate was always a zero sum game. I mean, in, in my community, there's going to be 500 listings and it's just a fight to the death to see who gets the most Brokerage. listings. Brokerage. Yeah. It's, Whereas, it's just a zero sum like, game. Like the whole industry, you know, it's absolutely not a zero sum game. Like there's developers who are building and the more that they build, you know, the more that they create, then the more listings there are. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we are, our business. Are. Yeah. I think what I love about this real estate, you don't share. And residential real estate, you don't share. You know, like, oh, I, got a, I got a better presentation. I'm not going to share with anybody. My, my business, tricks are my tricks. I'm not, yeah, not going exactly. to you know, like, my, my secret sauce. Yeah, like really, you got magic pixie dust? I don't think so. But in our business, we were so willing to share because we believe that 75% of people are self-managing. That's 750,000 owners wandering in the desert that I can rescue. And I don't mind sharing with a guy down the way and, and making this. This industry is really on the precipice of being so much better and so much more important. And my business model kind of just embraces that. But I think anybody can, you know, this, we're going to do a presentation at National, it got accepted yesterday. And it was, it's go big or stay small. And the idea that you have a small vision for your life, you know, I'm just going to manage these hundred doors really well. I just think there's, if you build a better mousetrap, go catch more mice. You know, if you're, yeah. if you can make people wealthy, here's what I have found on the investment side, you make people wealthy, 
they tell their friends. Yeah. They, they, everybody wants to get rich. And, and if you make people richer, you do find a property and, you know, either upzone I mean, it. That's, that's really good advice. Like, I mean, if, if you are partnering with people and you are making them rich, like there are going to be other people that come find you for that. Oh, and here's the one thing I know, because I was in private banking and I had a, a bunch of doctors. There are a lot of rich people out there. <laughs> There's no shortage of rich people and they want to make their money work for them. They want to leave a legacy for the kids. They want to put their kid to Harvard, whatever it might be. So yeah, if you, I'd rather own 20% of something than 100% of nothing. And syndicates to me are about saying, hey, I'm going to own 20% and I'm going to buy in another 10%, but I'm going to sell the other 70% and we're all going to get rich. And, they, and once you do one or two of these projects and they make money, oh, there's a line out the door. Their friends and family want to get involved. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I mean. All right. A couple more questions before we let you go. Sure. How has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? So the informal is for me, I'm a voracious reader. I think you said you read. I read probably at least a book a week. I was a literature major, full disclosure, at, wow. at Berkeley. So I, a lot. Yeah, so I, was a, I read a lot of fiction at Berkeley, but the habit of reading, and also I was on the crew team. So we used to get up at four in the morning to get on the water. And so I, those two things, being a, a voracious reader and getting up early, have stuck with me my whole life. You know, I get up at five and, and read till six or seven, and writing. That's why I, why I also write and share. So the answer is, on the informal side, certainly it was reading. I read everything possible both inside and outside our industry. And I get my best ideas from something that's disparate, not necessarily related to yeah. real estate or investing. Nope. And, and formal was, I, I did get my MBA. So I was a literature major. People wouldn't give me the time of day. Like, what are you going to do? Give me the hidden beings of Faust? You know, get out of here. <laughs> so I, I did get my MBA in the early 90s. And that gave me a good basis for uh, business and understanding and accounting. But I didn't have any mentor. I know people say they have mentors or somebody. I don't hire coaches. I don't hire consultants. I don't have mentors. I'd rather do it my own way and screw it up and learn from it and pivot. And that's kind of how I was. I, I don't think I do well with coaches or consultants. Cool. Cool. Okay. And then final question. What was your Moby Dick of real estate? The one that got away. In real, the one that got away. I know the one almost took me down. So I'll give you that. How close I was to losing everything. Right before 08, found this, it was like a 10 unit, is an acre with 10 bungalows. They're built like the 20s or 30s. So we bought it really for land value, but we overpaid. So we paid whatever it was, one and a half million dollars. And I personal guaranteed the whole thing and had these 10 little bungalows. They're renting for like a thousand dollars a piece. So we're getting $10,000 a month, but you know, the mortgage, you know, the leverage on it, there was at least 10,000. I think it was more like 12,000. So we're losing $2,000. And in California, it takes you like six months to a year to get your entitlements, get your approvals, get ready to go. So we wait six months. And it was probably 2006, I, I'm not gonna, but we had to make the decision. Do we tear all this stuff down and start construction? And I had that weird pit in my, feel in my stomach, like, I, I don't know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not feeling good. I said, let's wait six more months. The market crashed. I mean, absolutely mm -hmm. crashed. That land went from probably 1.5 million to 750, but we had the little crappy units on there. We kept them. I, four years, kept those things on there, waiting, waiting for the market to turn. Took four or five years of market to turn. And finally, like in 2010, I said, let's build. And probably sold it for the less, lower price than we would have sold them in 2006, but made a profit because we built up equity from the mortgage, obviously, over five years. So 
that was the one that almost drowned me. That was the whale that almost took me down with it. I would have lost everything. I mean, yeah, I, you would have scraped it. That's a, I, that's a, that's a great instance of like, trust your gut. It was a gut. I, I looked around and, and I'll, I'll tell you what the re- reason was. I was selling real estate, like I told you, and I sold a house in Placentia. It was a terrible house, like 1300 square feet built in 1950. A little old lady owned it and we sold it for like $600,000 and the buyers put no money down, had no credit and they didn't verify their income. And when I did the final walkthrough, I didn't know who these people were. I didn't represent the buyer. I did the final walkthrough and I meet the buyer. They don't speak English. And I asked her the realtor, I go, what does he do? Well, he's a landscaper. The mortgage on this thing was $5,000 a month with, with no money down at the rates at the time. And I went, oh, he's a landscaper. And I realized, oh, this shit's going to end. <laughs> it's just not sustainable. I mean, it, oh, and the realtor made more money on the mortgage than she did on the commission. Like she made 18000 on the commission, but she made 25000 on the mortgage to so yeah. the points and the fees and the costs. I realized, <laughs> yeah, I said that. Like, but there's nothing like that that happens right now. No, no. That's why we're not going to, the real estate crash, it's just going to be from unwilling sellers. Meaning sellers are going to say, you know, that's, we talked, I've lived through this. When, when the prices drop, sellers get, they don't, they refuse to drop their price. They, they, and and so you have that Mexican standoff. Buyers want a lower price because rates are higher. The market softened. Sellers refuse to come down. It takes them like a year to two years to say like, I want to sell and move on my life. Okay. We'll take less, but it's a process. If we have a real estate recession, it's going to look like a lot like 91 to 95 here in Southern California. It was like the prices just went down 3 to 4% over a four-year four period. If I, it was like a slow death. And finally yeah. in 95, everybody woke up and said, oh, the recession's over. Okay. You know, so I think it's not going to be like that. It's just going to be a slow little death. Or just even flat. When even flat. Everybody was expecting, you know, well, I, I need to be making 8 or 10% each year on my property. Otherwise, you know, oh, well, I'll just wait for it to, you know, to double. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think people with cash are going to do fine. I think there's going to be deals out. Oh, there are always deals out there. I tell my clients, get ready. I think there'll be great opportunity in the next couple of years. I mean, cool. right now, not so much. I mean, the people buying now in our marketplace are buying because they're going to stay there five or 10 years, right? They're getting a low interest rate. Who cares about the price? It's like going on a car dealership and just buying for payment, not caring about price. That's what we see right now. And that's not good. That should not be the way it is, but it is. And that will change in a year. Okay. Appreciate your, your outlook and your opinions and appreciate you coming on. Like this has been great. Yeah. I guess whenever I talk about my business model, people always go, is that legal? Can I do that? Or, you know, and it works for me is what I can tell people. Well, yeah. Yeah. It works for me. And I, once again, I can't say it enough. What we do, we make our clients richer and we protect them from lawsuits. We protect them from themselves. Association management, the same thing. So you combine all these diverse things we do and put it under one roof. It's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Scott, really enjoyed it. Thank cool. you so much. We'll Have see you at the next conference. I'll buy you a beer. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> all right. All right. Thanks, Scott. Take care, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community for investing knowledge for growth. Please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone you know wants to be on, please go to westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form.